listening to Bible Study Wednesday on this March the 4th in the year of our Lord, 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Bible Study Wednesdays, we take a look at a passage from the Bible that you may not be thinking of too often. In speaking with other pastors, I have discovered that one of the main questions that people continue to ask about is baptism. And of course, there are some very, very good passages about baptism uh, found in Matthew 28, go therefore and baptize all nations. In Acts chapter 2, baptism receives the gift of the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit and is for you and even your infants. That's Acts chapter 2. And baptism now saves you in First Peter. But are there any passages that are really good in the Old Testament? And that's what we're going to be taking a look at, at Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. Now, Ezekiel was a prophet that God had, especially uh, during the time of people being put into bondage and slavery, and therefore it was very important that the message of Ezekiel would get around to many, many people. It is really a blessing for readers. Now, what we want to look at is chapter 36 of Ezekiel, because he had prophesied uh, the defeat of Judah and the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple. And he explained to the people of God that God had departed from them because they had departed from him. But the Lord also showed Ezekiel a new day when his glory would return and the kingdom would become an everlasting blessing to the nations. So we want to start with Ezekiel 36, verse 16. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. And there's various translations that uh, end up saying this. Uh, we're going to talk about the New American Standard. Their way before me was like the uncleanness of a woman in her impurity. So, God was not happy at all with Israel. They not only were not obeying his moral laws, but worship and social practices were really contrary to the will of God. They were cheating people, for example, in balances, etc. So, verse 18. So I poured my wrath upon them for the blood they had shed in the land and for the idols which, with which they had defiled it. In other words, 
they were worshiping many idols. And this word for uh, uh, idols is the Hebrew word for idol, uh, referring to that which you trust. Remember, everyone has a God. If you trust in the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's wonderful. But if you trust in anything else, it's an idol. And it doesn't have to be an individual person like some think Allah is. It can be your riches, your possessions, uh, your job, your reputation, whatever you think more highly of than the Holy Trinity becomes your idol. And therefore, you defile the true God. So, verse 19, I scatter them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries in accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judge them. Now, what specifically is he talking about? Well, during this time, of course, uh, they were taken into captivity. The northern 10 tribes of Israel were captured by the Assyrians, and later on, the southern tribes of Judah were taken into Babylonian captivity. And God did that as a result of their unrepentant sin and their idolatry. And they were dispersed through the countries. Then we get to verse 20. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name in that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. So they didn't think much of the God of Israel, these foreign nations, because it appeared he had not protected them. Uh, of course, unbelievers never understand why God does what he does. For example, let's say you hear of parents that give a punishment to their children that they're not allowed to watch television at night. And then you hear of another punishment they can't go and play basketball outside or football at the field. And you begin to think, well, that's a terrible parent. But then you hear why those punishments were given. Perhaps the child never is at home in time for dinner or perhaps he's not doing the chores around the house. So the punishment is not a way of getting even. It's instead a way of putting down the old Adam that always wants to rebel against parents. And that's what Jesus was doing in sending his holy people into exile, into captivity, not because he hated them and was getting even with them, but so that they might learn that what they were doing was in error. The governments do this all the time. It's called jail. If you break the law, caught, and are judged to be guilty of the crime, guess what? You get a punishment. So you can't look at people in jail, many of them, 
and say, what a terrible government we have, putting all those people in jail, until you discover the reason why they were put into jail. Verse 21 gives a reason why God did what he did. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. So they came into the land of Canaan, and God said, do not intermarry uh, with these infidels. And they began to intermarry. They began to set up idols to their gods. Even some of the kings of Israel and Judah did this. Very few kings were faithful to the Lord after Solomon. And so they profaned the name of God. Now, it's kind of interesting that the ESV says, I had concern for my holy name. Uh, The King James says, I had pity for my holy name. And when you look at the original, it also can be translated as, I had compassion. Boy, that word compassion is really big. Because a lot of people don't realize it's made up of two words, with and then passion, with suffering. When God has compassion on us, It doesn't mean he feels sorry for us or just has pity upon us. It also means he suffers with us. Here's where you find the cross in Ezekiel, that Jesus' compassion was of such a nature that he suffered with us. And that's, of course, the many people who were against him and finally his crucifixion. That was a suffering for our sins. That's the highest level that one can have of compassion. Verse 22, therefore, God talking to Ezekiel, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Now, that seems to give the impression God wasn't doing it uh, because of his compassion for the people, but for his name. But you see, once you profane the name of God, and many people are doing that today, where they are going against the morality of God's holy word. And therefore, when others see Christians doing immoral actions, why would they want to bless their God? So the main reason that God is doing what he is doing in bringing the consequences of our sin to ourselves is really for the sake of his holy name. Because by your sinful, unrepentant deeds, you are profaning that name. Verse 23, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, 
which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before you. Now, the word vindicate is actually also translated as to sanctify. And remember what sanctification is. It is the result of being justified. So, when we profane the name of the Lord through sin, or particularly through our unrepentance, then we are giving God an indication that we need to be sanctified so that people will recognize that as we are sanctified and God is vindicated, that they will say, boy, he is the Lord, declares the Lord God. Now, it's, it's kind of interesting that the word Lord appears here twice. The first one, where he says, I am the Lord, is actually the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the name that Moses heard God is on Mount Sinai at the burning bush. So I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, says the Lord God. And there, the word is Adonai. And that means he's Lord over men. It's, it's a word used, for example, if you owned a farm and you were the owner of the farm, you would be the Adonai, the Lord of the farm. But in this case, God says, I am the Lord, I'm Yahweh, that's the name of God, declares the Adonai, and then the word for God, of course, is Elohim. God is always in the plural when we're speaking of the true God. So God is going to vindicate himself. He will sanctify his great name. He will bring it back to what it needs to be. Verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. Now, this is really part of the gospel. We've heard the law that God is going to vindicate his name. He's going to re-sanctify it. People are going to recognize he is the Lord God. And boy, did Jesus ever do that in his many signs, his many miracles, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And so bringing you into your own land, he had done that in bringing them into the land of Canaan, but it also is referring to a different land. And that land is none other than the land of the Holy Christian Church. In other words, also heaven after the day of judgment. Verse 25. Now, how is he going to do that? How is he going to sanctify his name? How is he going to restore his people? Uh, verse 25 is probably one of the most important verses in the Bible. 
I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. You cannot read that without remembering the words of Jesus in Matthew 28. Go and baptize all nations. And that word for baptism, of course, is applying with water. Now, the translation says you shall be clean from all your uncleanness or all your filthiness, all your impurities. The word clean here also refers to being pure because only when you are pure in the sight of God are you able to go to heaven. And that purity occurs because of two gifts that God gives you. He gives you the gift of the forgiveness of sins, and that takes care of sins that you commit, and he gives you the gift of the robe of righteousness, and that takes care of good works you were unable to do. When you're wearing his robe of righteousness, the Father regards you as having fulfilled the law perfectly because that's what Jesus did. So he fulfilled the law perfectly and then transferred that over to you. So it takes care of our filthiness, our impurity of sins, and all those idols that we worship, we are cleansed from them. If you're ever looking for a passage, therefore, that talks about baptism in the Old Testament, you can't beat Ezekiel 36, verse 25. But verse 26 continues. Remember the words of David, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Well, guess what verse 26 says in light of having been sprinkled with the waters of baptism. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit will I put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, the word flesh appears two times. The first time it's basar, but the second time it's also basar. So what's he talking about? That you will have removed from you your heart of stone that is stony, that is unbelieving, and be replaced with a new heart in your flesh, the heart of faith in Jesus Christ. So here in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 and 26, we not only see the promise of baptism, but the fulfillment of the request by David that we be within us, a new heart be created and a new spirit. God talks a lot about that in Jeremiah and in 
Hebrews, where therefore with that new heart and new spirit, it means I will no longer remember your sins. That doesn't mean memory. It means he won't be getting even with you because from his point of view, you no longer are a sinner having had your sins forgiven and dressed in the robe of Christ's righteousness. Huge passage. Verse 27. Now remember, 26 talked about that you're going to get a new spirit that trusts God. But then in verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you. In the ESV, New American Standard, NIV, and the New King James Version, the English word spirit is capitalized. Why? Because it's not talking about the spirit that you have from verse 26, your new spirit of faith in the true God. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. And is not the, that the words of Peter at the Pentecost sermon? Be baptized. See, that's something God does to you, not something you do. And you will receive the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God explains why he will put the Spirit within you. To cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my judgments. Observe my ordinances. Well, when did that happen? Take a look at Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. It's not that the sheep do things that the goats don't do. Because the unbelievers also visit people in prison and help people who need clothes and drink, etc., but what God is looking at is not the action, but the motivation. The sheep's motivation is from the Holy Spirit. And whatever they do to the least of these, they're doing unto me, Jesus says. The goat's motivation in doing what appear to be good works, that motivation is always self-interest. They make it to make themselves look good or to try and give them hope that they will be in the land forever of God's kingdom, which verse 28 now talks about. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Kind of reminds us of the beginning of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God, Exodus 20. And why? Because I brought you out of the land of Egypt. He gives a reason why he is their God. He already is their God. You don't have to choose him as your God. You don't have to do any works to make him your God. He is your God. And just as Israel were taken out of the bondage of the land of Egypt, and God was their God, so also every Christian will be taken out of the bondage of dwelling in the land of Satan, in the kingdom of Satan, and they will be now in the kingdom of God, 
and God will truly be their God. Now, what does that mean? Through the Holy Spirit, Ezekiel is given this message in verse 29. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. Now, if that doesn't remind you of what Moses did in the wilderness where they were hungry and manna fell from the sky, Jesus is the new Moses, and he gives us, in fact, he speaks of himself as the bread of life. And therefore, in heaven and even here on earth, no famine will be upon us. So, Ezekiel 36, what a tremendous passage to share with those who don't realize baptism was also in the Old Testament. And on tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Wes Reimnitz, we'll be talking about a subject that we know you'll be interested in. God Listen bless. Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker. P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.